Father, we thank you and praise you for this glorious time that you have brought us together as your sons, your daughters, brothers and sisters, rejoicing in those moments when we find ourselves out deeper than we want to be, but trusting in the promise that you are with us. You crash over us with your love, your grace, your mercy, your guidance, your truth. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. So good morning once again. If you, um, if you came in late and you're a mother, know that we've already prayed for you. Um, and somebody can hug you because uh, we hugged a mother. Uh, it was great. Um, so we are um, in this series uh, about grief and change. And we, today's Confirmation Sunday. Uh, confirmation Sunday, the confirmands were at the 930 service. This is the way we get attendance up is we have Confirmation Sunday on Mother's Day. And it's just like everyone shows up. So there were a lot of people uh, at the 930 service that uh, and the confirmands came in and we prayed a blessing on them. It was wonderful. Um, and it's a big change in their life. They're, they're moving from the faith of their youth into the faith that they will take ownership of um, into their future. A great thing. But we're in the book of Acts here, chapter 14, with Paul and Barnabas going on one of their ministry journeys. And what's going on here in the book of Acts, if you remember, the book of Acts is the story of the church, the birth of the church, right? It's the story of Jesus has died, been resurrected. He goes to the disciples and he says, hey, this is your job. This is what you are to do from this point forward is to go into the world, teaching people what I have taught you, sharing with them my love. Go into the world and do this. He anoints Peter as the head of the church, and they begin to set up the structures of the church. This is the story of Acts that Luke records for us. And in this beginning of the setup of the structure of the church, there's some issues. They have problems. Some people want to do one thing. Other people want to do another thing. When you become institutionalized and when you set these rules and regulations in place, there are always going to people who stand against them. Change does not come easy. Paul comes along, and Paul creates a real conundrum for the people in Jerusalem, especially Peter, because Paul wants to do things that Peter is like, no, 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 this is not what we are supposed to do. And Paul likes to go, yeah, I think it is, and I'm not backing down. And so they get into a couple of arguments. But then Paul is sent out, and he brings uh, Barnabas with him on some different ministry journeys, and this is one of them in chapter 14. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lycania, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this you have... Kind of a typical account of what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're going from region to region. They're hopping on a ship. They're sailing here. They're sailing there. They're going into these areas, and they're bringing the message of Christ with them. 
This is what Paul has been charged to do by Jesus. So he goes into the world bringing the message of Christ. Everywhere he goes, the first thing he does is he goes to the synagogue. He goes to the place where the Jews are, the place where discourse happens, the place where teaching and learning happen. He goes there. Because he has studied under who he, Gamaliel, this amazing rabbi, he immediately has credibility when he walks into these places. But when he goes in, he begins to share the gospel message. And time and time again, what happens is the same thing. People hear the message, they believe the message, and begin to become believers in Jesus Christ. Other people get upset by this. Other people get angry. They get a group of leaders together. It said just before they go to Iconium, it says the same thing happened in Iconium. Right before this where they were, they preached the message in the synagogues. A lot of people come to believe. Then the Jews go, and it says this, they go and get the women of the church and then some leaders, and they run to attack Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas are sharing the message, and then here comes this gaggle of Jewish women. <laughs> or, or flock. I don't know how they travel, but, um, you know, and they're coming and they're like, ah, let's get out, you know, cause they can't even take that. You should not do this. Um, you know, and so they run happens over and over again, right after this, when they go to Derby where the Kentucky Derby got its name, nine thirty. thought that was funnier. Um, they, uh, when, when they go to Derby, the same thing happens. The same thing happens over and over again. Why? What's going on here? What is so dangerous that, that Paul, Paul's message is? Change. Really. He's sharing the message of Christ. He's sharing the message of the Messiah. The thing that the Jews have been waiting for for thousands of years. Here it is. This is what we've been celebrating. This is what we've been waiting for, praying for, begging God to deliver us from. Here it is. But with it comes change. With change comes uncertainty. With uncertainty comes fear. This is at the heart of what's going on here, I believe. Fear. Because for thousands of years, the Jews have operated in a certain way. They know what they are supposed to do. When God brought them from slavery into freedom, when he goes into Egypt and he rescues them after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, he gives them all of these rules and regulations. As he's bringing them into the wilderness, he gets Moses. He's like, hey, we need to talk about some things. We have some rules and regulations we need to put in place because you people have no clue how to live as sons and daughters. You see, that's what the rules and regulations were for, because they had been living for 400 years in captivity. Everything about their lives was prescribed for them. Everything that they did during the day, they were told to do and when to do it. Their entire lives were about being told. And now God's bringing them from this captivity and he's releasing them into their place as heirs, the kingdom of heaven. But he can't just go, okay, here you go. It's like when a kid turns 16, you don't just immediately go, here are the keys of the poor son, have fun. You got to train them, right? Nobody would do that. You train them and then you give them a Pinto and then you see how it goes or a Ford Fiesta. And you see how it goes. You just throw them out there. You, you, you know, you have to teach them and encourage them and shape them into who they're going to be. This is what the rules and regulations were all about. These prescribed things. If you offend somebody in this way, then go and sacrifice a pigeon. If you offend them in this way, well, that's a lamb. You know, and, and there's all these different things. And, and so this is shaping the people in order to set them free. Now, here Paul comes along and Paul says, hey, 
Freedom's here. We've got it. Freedom comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death has no hold over us any longer. Sin has no hold over us any longer. We have access to the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, friends, this is going to change everything. The way that we have done it is no longer the way that we should operate. Because Jesus Christ has come. He is the Messiah. Let go of the things of the past and move on to what's ahead. It's a scary message. It's a scary message when you've been doing the same thing for thousands of years. This is what's going on. What once was is no longer right or working. And what's coming is scary. So how do we handle it? This conflict was happening at the beginning of the church. And in the history of the church, it has continued to happen over and over and over. Every so often, every hundred years or so, there is a movement in Christianity that comes forward. And the movement of Christianity comes forward in a way to take the church in a different direction. And the people go, no, we're not going with you. Every so often, these things come up. Back in the 90s, I'm jumping ahead a couple of thousand years though, but back in the 90s, uh, when this contemporary Christian movement came along, Now, there had been folk services. The Catholic Church and Episcopalian churches had been dabbling in the folk industry for quite some time. But they were just the hippies, and no one gave them really any credit. It was when the 90s came along where this evangelical fervor of contemporary stuff came into power and being that people started getting worried. And what was going on is, first, it happened in the fringes, like the non-denominational churches. And quite honestly, we all thought those people were crazy anyway, so we didn't care. And then the Baptists kind of picked it up and we're like, well, yeah, but they're Baptists. So there was that. It was when the mainline Protestants started picking it up. Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists. When we started taking on this form of worship and it started spreading throughout that people started going, whoa, wait a minute. It's okay for the crazy non-denoms, but if you put a drum set in my sanctuary, no, no, no. We're going to have worship without an organ. I'm sorry. Jesus never had worship without an organ. Right? You have these big major shifts. And what happens is a lot of anger and frustration and fear comes in. Because we're taking the comfortable and the known and we're shifting it up a little bit. When we started New Heights in 1999, I was part of the team that started it. I was one of our first worship leaders. Daryl and I um, and Stacy and a couple of high school kids uh, were leading worship here. And um, when we did these things, we angered a lot of people. There were these two Sunday school classes in these rooms. In the parlor, one met. And then in F103 right there, uh, another Sunday school class met. The parlor were, uh, were, was this old Sunday school class. Um, the, the, the greatest generation Sunday school class type of age. They were the ones, they're the pillars of our church. They were the ones who, because of them, our church is alive. They were the ones who, if you, if you see this, the DNA of them is all throughout who we are as a congregation. And when we began this, they got angry because we were loud. And, and we, the speakers faced this way. And so it would just go blast into um, the parlor, and they got upset, and they got angry, and there's a lot of fights and hurt feelings going on, and they eventually moved to the West Wing, not without casting some words. 
than this group. You see the blinds that are up there, the shutters that are there? That's because of that Sunday school class. We tried to close them off, and they tried to close us off, and periodically you would see the the shutters open during a service as if them looking out going, "Um, we can hear you too much, and they'd shut it back. And it was a younger generation. It was more people my age. But still, it was change, and it was uncomfortable. When we first started this, we served breakfast in this room. Anybody remember the breakfast that we used to serve here in the CLC? Just really? Nobody? Some of you are here long enough to know. You just don't want to raise your hand and admit that you ate that kind of stuff. It was horrendous, but wonderful. It's the, you know, like the gravy that you can stick a fork in and it doesn't move. You know, that stuff. It was that kind of breakfast. When we came in, we stopped the breakfast and you thought we would have taken every cross down. Like people got so upset by that. Now, when we started New Heights, we did a lot of things wrong. We did a whole lot of stuff wrong. And we came in and said, look, this is how it's going to be, and just bulldozed our way through. And that wasn't the right way to do it. But it also wasn't right to say that change can't happen. It also wasn't right to say, no, 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 no. We've never done it this way, so we're never going to try it. What it was was fear, uncertainty. Well, we've never done it this way before, so this feels uncomfortable. All throughout Christianity, this has gone on. If you go over to England right now, or Europe, anywhere, when Jen and I were there, uh, one of the things that I would do was to take walks from village to village. I would start out in a little village of Blockley, and then I would, um, all these different maps, and I would end up in another village, some, sometimes 15 miles away or something. And the first place that I would go every time, I know what you're thinking, it's not there, it was the church. Because every little village was anchored by a church, is anchored by a church, a little Anglican church. And some of them are big. Some of them are small. They're all beautiful. They're all hundreds of years old. And every one of them, with the exception of one that I went to, was open. Every one. It didn't matter the time of day or the day. I would walk up to the door, open up, walk right in, and no one was there. They'd just leave the churches open. And I would go, the only one that was closed, by the way, was St. Michael's, which I was like, what are you saying? This is weird. So I sat outside on the bench and took a selfie, like real sad with St. Michael's in the background. It was great. Um, And and so I would go in and I would sit down. And what I would do is I would walk through and look at the plaques um, that tell the story of that congregation. You know, the, the, the churches over there, they have these monumental plaques all over the place, on the floors, on the walls, on the ceilings, everywhere. And it tells the story of the people who built that church and sustained that church for hundreds of years. It tells the story of those people who carried the banner of Christ into that part of the world. And I just sat there and was amazed at the greatness of the things that must have gone on. And I would sit in those congregations and I would pray for the people that would come on Sunday and I would pray for my family and different stuff. Just sit in that spirit in that moment. It was so powerful for me. On Sunday mornings, we would go to the little church in our village. If you've seen Father Brown, it's, um, it's his church, St. Mary's on Father Brown, but it's an Anglican church. And we would go into that church and, and it was the same story. And there's all these like plaques and it's a beautiful, beautiful congregation. And, and you'd go in on Sunday morning, and there's like 20 people there. Nobody. All across that continent, churches sit empty. David even tells a story of he was just recently in Scotland. And he said when he was there, they would go into all these churches and, and see the beauty of them because they're beautiful monuments to a powerful God. 
multiple times they would go into a church that has been changed into something other than a worship space. Their last day, they were in a city of Sterling, and they walk into this gigantic sanctuary, this place that is bigger than ours, he says. And it's been turned into a mall. A mall. Anyone else hear Jesus and tables and money changers going, wham! But what's going on over there? The world changed and the church didn't. The world changed and the church refused to. If you've ever been to the East Coast or the West Coast, you know that we are not immune to this. That the same thing is happening on our coasts and it's coming closer and closer to us. The statistics in America are amazing. The, the, the amount of people who actually believe in God is going down. The amount of people who profess to believe, be believers in Jesus Christ is going down at an even sharper rate. And the people who actually per- practice their Christian faith is going down further still. We are not immune to this because we live in the Bible Belt. It's here, too. We have a lot of people who their church attendance is pushed by three days. Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter. We call them CME Christians. Time and time again, the world changes, the church doesn't. What once was is no longer working. And we have to come to that realization and that fact. Where we have been cannot be where we stay because it's no longer working. We must have the courage and the strength and the faith to say it's okay to change. It's okay to take our gospel message out of this room and that room and every sanctuary across this nation and take it to the world, which, by the way, was the command given to us. What we need to do as a church is to realize that Sunday morning isn't as important as it used to be. How many of you remember a day when school districts would call churches to find out what the church schedule was so they did not schedule something on top of it? How many of you remember a day when Little League and basketball and soccer would never put a game on Sunday? How many of you remember the the day when Sunday was set apart, sacred and holy, a true Sabbath day of rest, when stores would close. That day is gone, and it's not coming back. So what do we do? If what was is no longer, the question is what will be? What will be is a return, I believe, to what was. A time when the message of Christ didn't stay in the church, but it went to the community. A time when preachers weren't that important. Because every one of us, the priesthood of all believers, were the carriers of the message of Christ. There is more strength and power in the way in which you live your life for Jesus. The way in which you understand yourself as a son, as a daughter of Jesus Christ. And how you operate in your neighborhood, in your office place. More power than that than any sermon I have ever or will ever give. Yet time and time again, what we as the church do is say, Sunday morning, come see us and we'll change your life. Monday through Saturday, 
good luck. But Sunday coming will help you. What if we got it through our head that change is okay and we put that fear aside and say, hey, Sunday morning, we're going to continue to come here and to worship because quite honestly, it's one of my favorite days of the week. I love it. I love coming here. I love preaching before you. I love hearing our amazing team worship. Y'all missed it at 930. They broke down into purple rain. They're not going to do it at 11 because Colin has to go work, whatever. Um, But they broke it into purple rain at the end of the service. They are so talented and crazy, crazy talented and dedicated. I love coming and hearing this team worship. It gets me fired up and it takes me into places that I want to get up here and just scream at you what we are as a body of Christ. You should say amen. Way to go team right now. Literalists, I love it back there. I love when I get up here and I preach and I see some people shaking their head. Yes, some people going, no, I don't agree with that. And I say challenge accepted to you people. I love when you give me feedback and you laugh. And sometimes when you don't laugh, it just pushes me further in. I love having this experience with you. It is such a great time for me and it gives me strength and energy to then go tomorrow into what I believe my real job is about. See, my real job isn't about this. It's the fun part of my job. Maybe you could say this is my practice because game day is Monday. And that's the same for all of us. We all have this calling to live our lives for Jesus Christ, not one day a week, three days a year, but to accept the fact that things have changed, that church as it was is no longer going to be. So will we pick up the challenge and figure out what's coming next? And let me tell you, it's not in this room. It's in your homes. It's on your block. It's at the ball fields. Except for yesterday's game where Jesus clearly wasn't there for the Braves. It, it was, it's for, it still hurts. It's, it's for all, it's all those places. It's in your office place. It's in your relationships. That's where the gospel message goes. That's where people get to understand what it means to be released from addiction. When I tell people that I went through a period of depression and I got really far down there over the past few years, but now I know what it means to go get help. Now I know what it means to come out of that depression. If you're suffering, come talk to me because I get it. I know what it means to lose the expectation of what your child is going to be and go through all these medical things and all these changes. I know what it means to change jobs. I know what it means to have fear and uncertainty of what the future holds. And guess what? You have things that you know and that you can pour into people's lives that I don't. You have experiences and knowledge and passions that give you fire that can bring you out into the world that you are a child of God, that you are beloved, that that addiction can't hold you, that that affair has no power over your relationship, that your job loss doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because the kingdom of heaven is bigger than that. That message doesn't just happen here on Sunday morning. It can't just happen here on Sunday morning. If it was only about Sunday morning, then we've lost. We're done. We might as well turn the lights off and go home. Because no matter how good the worship team is, no matter how funny I am, people are not going to come on Sunday. They're going to hear about the love of Christ from you. 
I just accepted a challenge from some of you bitter old people. Will you accept this challenge? Will all of you accept this challenge that it is not our job any longer to play church on Sunday morning? That we need to create a riot in this world. That we need to say what was working is no longer the case. Let's go into this world and carry the love of Christ with us. Who's with me? Thank you, McClendon. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you have given us, for the ways in which you have released us to being the sons and daughters that you call us to be. Once you found us in captivity, but that wasn't good enough for you. So you broke us free. And you continue to shape us more and more into the men and women you long for us to be. May those instances help us to be your hands and feet in this world. May they help us to be people who go in our neighborhoods, go in our community, sharing the love of Christ with all, that all may know your glory, that all may know what it means to be truly loved. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.